0: Unspoken. spoken All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. This is an unspoken epic coming right at you. And this is one that I picked. That's right. I'm Jesse Starcher and here with me, as always, talking 90s comics with me, Chris Armstrong. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. All things considered. Good. That's good. You are at the mercy of me this time. I'm the one that gets (laughs) to pick a story and make you read it. Back when we started doing the unspoken epics where we were like, okay, let's talk, let's talk about a storyline or a series of issues, a story arc that, that kind of went through 90s comics. Doesn't matter where it's from, just so long as it's a story arc. But it gives us the opportunity to talk multiple issues instead of the single issue format that we usually do. And this was right at the top of my list. Now, it's not because it's like the greatest image comic story ever, ever told. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember this stuck out to me as one of the ones that Back in the 90s, when I read it, I really enjoyed. We are going to be talking Spawn, Wildcats. The title of the story is Devil Day. And yeah, I was picking this up back in the 90s. Number one, because I don't know if I, I assumed that what happened was I, I got the first issue. By the end of the first issue, as you guys will hear, you will find that there is time travel involved. And (laughs) if anybody knows anything about old Jesse Starcher, it's it's that I enjoy time travel right in that wheelhouse, buddy. So I immediately was like, okay, I've got to check this out. Let's see what's going to happen for the rest of the story. So we got a total of four issues here. Uh, Like I said, this hits in 90, uh, late 95, early 96. And it's uh, bringing together Wildcats and Spawn in one story. Now, not only that, who wrote this? Mm -hmm. That is Alan Moore.
1: It almost seemed like this is kind of like his. Um, I don't want to say he was slumming it, but this is kind of a like a, a lull for him because like he was super high in the eighties with I guess he had Swamp Thing and then Watchmen mm-hmm. uh, and then in the late nineties he had kind of a resurgence with like Top Ten. I guess Need for Vendetta* was also him in the eighties, but um, um, yeah, he he, uh, he had kind of a resurgence with Top Ten and some other stuff like that in the late nineties. Uh, but in the middle, he kind of he did some. Stuff for Image, uh, he did like 1963, which I never actually read that in, in his entirety. A Violator miniseries, right? Is it? That- did he write Bad Rock Violator? It may have been like a Bad Rock Violator. This this is stuff that kind of came in the uh, the dark times for Chris uh, when I wasn't really getting comics for, uh, you know, about a year and a half, two years there. So this is stuff I didn't read at the time. And, and this is my first time reading this uh, miniseries for this podcast. So,
0: OK. Yeah. Uh, violator versus Bad Rock was written by Alan Moore. Did you already mention his run on Supreme? Because that was, like, that's the other thing. No,
1: that... but, yeah, that that was also in the late 90s, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people that hold that in high regard. I was a big fan of Supreme, and, I mean, I don't know how many times that I've...
1: Hashtag not my Supreme. <laughs>
0: Just just tattoo that on my forehead right now. (laughs) I was not happy. So that's okay. That's fine. He's finding his way to Image Comics. They've got an open door. They're like, dude, come on in. So here comes Spawn Wildcats Devil Day. As we get into this, I don't want to save this till last because I'm going to forget it. So I'm just (laughs) going to say it now. It just didn't come out like it was an Alan Moore book to me. I will (laughs) tell you that the very beginning and the very end, okay, are ethereal players in this yeah. book. The ones outside of that felt very much like an Alan Moore type deal. Mm-hmm. But when we get through the rest of this book, it's just...
1: Right. Not as heady as a lot of his stuff. I right. wonder if maybe, specifically with this one, maybe with The Violator, Bad Rock, if, if maybe if it was, maybe Jim Lee or Lifel or whoever, maybe they pitched him like a story concept and then just kind of let him go from there. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's this is more of a standard, you know, 90s superhero crossover deal.
0: It really is. It really is.
1: A lot Um, of shades of like future imperfect, especially, and like maybe a little Age of Apocalypse. Although I I think Age of Apocalypse actually came out before this. That was summer of 95, right? So maybe some of that influenced some of the story stuff as well.
0: If you were a fan of Alan Moore and you saw something like this, these are two very hot properties at the time. Spawn is definitely a hot property in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Wildcats are definitely a hot... Hot property. Okay, so that's that's part of the creative team here in regards to this. Now, the the other part of this creative team is is the penciler Scott Clark, who I think does a phenomenal job on the book. Uh, I had no idea that he actually passed away in February of 2013 because I recognize a lot of his art in the mid 90s. I'm picking up Image Comics. I'm definitely picking up Wildcats. I'm picking up Stormwatch. You're going to see his name pop up a lot in a lot of Stormwatch mm-hmm. issues. I think he was part of Brightest Day,
1: one of the last things he did, I believe. Was Go he the penciler on the Alpha Flight series from the late 90s? They, yep, that's what I, I that's what I mostly remember him from.
0: Just looking at the covers, his his art is solid. I've mm-hmm. always thought that he he was a representation of image art for me. So, again, solid art for the book. So you got Alan Moore, you got Scott Clark coming together for this thing. It's pretty exciting stuff. So now, you said you weren't picking this up uh, off the shelf. First time reading it. Let's go ahead. I want to give you the opportunity here. Do your best just as far as the book goes or what you know knowledge-wise. And we did this actually a while back when we did uh, Wildcats number four. I think it was Wildcats number four where we had Youngblood versus the Wildcats. We kind of ran down a characters, the characters. I'll I'll give you the character. You tell me what you... You give me your synopsis of who they are. Just tell tell us who do you think or who these people are. So here we go. Character rundown. These are going to be some of the main players that we have here in Spawn Wildcats Devil Day. All right. Jacob Marlowe or Lord M. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on him?
1: Uh yeah. Marlowe, he is a businessman, like he's a um a little person, and he's like the Professor X of the Wildcats, sort of. He's like the main—he doesn't really get involved in a lot of the action, but he's like the guy that's in charge of the team. He kind of put them together, and he, he's he got the money—he's the, he's the money behind the machine and everything. Okay. All right.
0: How about Spartan, leader of the Wildcats?
1: Uh, Spartan is an android or a synthetic—I guess a synthetic human, maybe they refer to him as at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like the leader of the Wildcats field team. Really powerful, but I think he can... If I remember right, he can move his consciousness to other Spartan bodies. I think this might be like Spartan 7 or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. the model number, but I think in the first mini series of the Wildcat series, they mentioned like what model he is and stuff.
0: That's right. All right, how about Cole Cash, Grifter?
1: The breakout star of Wildcats. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a gunslinger, covert ops veteran type. I believe he is... Not a Caribou, but most of the Wildcats are that, which are they're like a, an alien race that have been on Earth for thousands of years, and they're at like having like a secret war with the Damonites. And I don't think Cole is actually a Caribou. I think he is friends with kind of a running mate of Zealot, who is the female swordsman on the team, and that's how he got involved with the Wildcats.
0: Uh, you mentioned Zealot. Anything else to add about Zealot?
1: She's like a warrior woman, uh, sort of like. I'm thinking the the tribe of, uh, like, female warriors that she learned under was Dakota. That's correct, yeah. And uh, I think we get some of their other, uh, another member of that, that group in this besides just Zealot. Mm-hmm. How about Maul? Maul is another Wildcat member. He's a big, giant purple guy who uh, <laughs> can grow... Kind of a giant man style, kind of like you have the Hulk and giant man had giant man's powers.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Uh, but the bigger he gets, the dumber he gets. So like he's a really smart, he's like a scientist. And uh, when he's out in, in, in the field in the action and he's got to use his brute strength and stuff and he, he can sometimes get dumbed down because he has to get bigger for whatever Challenges arise for the Wildcats and stuff. Yeah,
0: it's it's more, the, the bigger he gets, the more Hulk smash he gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. All right, how about Warblade?
1: Uh, Warblade is the Wolverine of the Wildcats. Another cariboum, and he's got these, like, liquid metal hands where his, like, his hands can be formed into knives and stabbing weapons, as Arnold would say in T2, which was clearly (laughs) the inspiration for (laughs) Warblade.
0: Right, right. All right, next up, Voodoo
1: voodoo is the kind of rookie of the wildcats uh, squad she's a uh, half human half caribou and i'm probably pronouncing caribou wrong i don't know how to that's understand. the way i do it you know I, I remember watching the wildcats cartoon so that's probably where i got my pronunciation from so well, I, might I know be right
0: <laughs> i know how to i know how to pronounce wildcats uh, <laughs> you, you pronounce that wildcats wildcats
1: <laughs> what a great theme song <laughs> It's no Ultra Force theme song, but it's pretty good. But uh, yeah, Voodoo, she has sort of like a psychic powers type thing, kind of a telepathy type thing going. She can identify uh, people who have been possessed by the Daemonites because they can possess humans and take over their bodies and stuff. Uh, she can like exercise the Daemonites out of people. And she's a former exotic dancer learning the, uh, the fight trade as she goes through her Wildcats adventures.
0: And last one I have listed here of the Wildcats is Void.
1: Void. Um, That's a a tough one for me to remember the exact details. I believe Void is like a sentience, uh, a caribou sentience that has taken over the body of a cosmonaut. I can't remember her name. They they mention her name in the the book.
0: I want to say it's Adriana.
1: Right. So she's like super... Cosmic power, but she doesn't really do a lot of fighting. She's mostly used as like the team transport. She teleports them in and out where they need to go and stuff like that.
0: She's definitely got some power. I mean, as we will find out in this book, she's—I mean, my goodness! Not only the powers that she has in this book, but I mean, she's the reason Deathmate happens. Which right, I was going
1: to mention that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, her and you Solar, too,
0: right? Her and Solar. Okay. All right. Well then let's switch gears, talk about another famous character of another famous book, and that is Spawn. What do you what do you got on Spawn?
1: Spawn. He is a former military guy who was killed in action, although I think later we find out he was betrayed by a fellow soldier by the name of Chapel. Went to hell, made a deal with the devil to come back to Earth, but there was a curse <laughs> involved with that. So now he's back on Earth with some, like, hellish powers I read those early spawn issues, and then that was pretty much it. After about issue 10, I checked out, and I haven't reread those in about 30 years. So,
0: okay. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, he's doing this all off the top of his head. there is one thing that I'm going to bring up. From what I remember, he goes back to see his wife and mm-hmm. his it's been some time. So it's not like Wanda. he dies and comes back immediately.
1: Yeah, he goes to see Wanda. Yeah, I believe it's been like five years. He doesn't realize that at first, but once he gets sent back to Earth, five years have passed.
0: Yes. So he goes to see Wanda and... Also, he's,
1: he's a rotting flesh beast. So Yeah,
0: it's not... Yeah, He doesn't yeah. look
1: like himself or anything.
0: He definitely looks like, uh, I mean, a zombie of some sort. Uh, right. So it's not like he can just go say, hey, Wanda, I'm back. You know, he's going to frighten somebody. But one of the things that he uh, sees when he finally, like, peeks in on Wanda and how she's doing, she has, I think, married... His best friend, Terry Fitzgerald, is his name. And they now have a daughter by the name of Cyan. Mm-hmm. So throughout those issues of Spawn that I've read, he has a bit of an affinity for her. Now
1: the her Guardian Devil, if you will. Oh, no,
0: look at that. Wordplay. Um mm,
1: <laughs>
0: so there's your main characters. Uh, there there are going to be a few ancillary characters to bring up in the synopsis. Uh, we, you know, after after I do the synopsis, we can talk about them. But those are our main players that we're going to be getting here. Do you have anything to say about? this before I get into the first issue synopsis.
1: Just, you know, I was a big Wildcats fan in the early days of that book, for that initial miniseries and the and the handful of issues after. Not a big Spawn guy, but this is a book I was kind of looking forward to just because the more mid-90s era Wildcats stuff uh, I can get to that I have never been able to read. You know, that's always a good thing, so.
0: Okay, well, I'm glad you were excited for it, so we're going to find out what you thought of it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com w2mnetwork, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash w2mnetwork for that free 30-day trial. So Spawn Wildcats Devil Day, written by Alan Moore, penciled by Scott Clark, inked by Sal Regla, lettered by Tom Orszakowski and colored by Leanne Clark. Uh, So our story opens with a very Alan Moore prologue where some entities outside of space and time get bored, for lack of a better (laughs) word. And uh, for their amusement, one of them decides to drop a very powerful amulet into the Image universe. Snapping to here and now, which is 1996, Wildcat member Voodoo has a vision of the powerful amulet and it shakes her to her core. While the rest of the team try to console her, a caped figure bursts through the ceiling attacking the team. Spawn has got the drop on the Wildcats. As face Grifter and- That's right, man. Spawn demands to face Grifter and Zealot. And when he finally finds them, he's about to attack, but stops short, asking her if she used to be black and cannot understand why the Grifter's hair is not gray. While cooler heads prevail, Spawn tells a story of how he was attacked by someone called Grifter and a masked woman, named Zealot, saying that the other Wildcats were depending on them to kill him. However, when Zealot had her chance, she broke down and could not do it, so the two escaped into the night. As the team deny they are responsible for this, the two attackers appear in the building with an amazing story. This grifter and Zealot are from the year 2015, a future where where just months from this date, in 1996, Spawn finds a mysterious talisman, and uses it to defeat the male Bolgia. Boy, I know I'm uh, not pronouncing that correctly. (laughs) Uh, The male Bolgia, which is Spawn's master and lord of hell. uh, One of the lords of hell. He becomes a powerful sorcerer after he does this, called the, oh boy, this is going to be a fun one to say over and over throughout (laughs) here. He becomes a powerful sorcerer, called the Ipsissimus, taking over the world within six months. Their mission was to kill Spawn before this happens, but Zealot could not bring herself to do it. So now their plan is to take Spawn and the Wildcats into the future, to take the fight... the ipsissimus and defeat him by the end of the issue void uses her powers to transport the team to 2015 into a new york city hellscape so there we go that is our first issue we get case of uh, mistaken identity and then lo and behold it wasn't really too mistaken as half (laughs) the parties were actually involved Uh, but (laughs) uh, grifter and zealot have come back from the past but clearly it's a different zealot so I want to start with this just real quick. Ipsissimus. All right. Okay. That feels like a very Alan Moore thing. I'll just say that right (laughs) now. I don't know where in the world they got that from, but I will tell you that I did type it into the old Google machine. Ipsissimus, and this is directly from Google, like first result. Ipsissimus is quite hard to translate directly from Latin to English. So it's a Latin word. Uh, So yeah, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it is essentially the superlative of self translating rather approximately to his most Selfness or self-est. So, yeah, I don't know if you've ever felt selfest, but mm. dude, that's that's uh, that you that would mean you are feeling like an ipsissimus, I guess.
1: But, uh, well, full disclosure: the first two and a half issues, I was pronouncing it ipsissimus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm gonna continue to refer to him as pissimist.
0: I like it. And
1: how, I you know, like, after it. the first few times I read, I was like, why did they name name him pissimist? Like, that is, I didn't know if it was a real phrase or uh, it just it can't be an accident that it. There's too
0: many. There's. <laughs> and then I realized
1: into like issue three, I was like, oh, I'm pronouncing this is. There's a the P is before the S.
0: So. Yeah, there's four S's in this damn thing. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I, I'm doing the same thing you are. I'm like, why? <laughs> what? It's, it is the, It is a very strange word to use. But I guess, you know, I know Alan Moore was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're calling this person <laughs> the Ipsissimus. I will tell you that I was like, I looked for Ipsissimus outside of just, you know, what the definition was there was one band from the sixties called Ipsissimus wow. and lo and behold, they're from Britain. Uh, and I, I listened to, I found it on YouTube, listened to it and it was like a blues, a blues <laughs> band kind of, there is also another band called Ipsissimus that dropped a, very black metal album in the, in 2011. Cause I listened to that on Spotify and yeah, it's with, I might even throw just like the first three seconds of that song <laughs> into this, into this, uh into this podcast, because it just starts out with like three or four drum beats. And all of a sudden I was like, ah! I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't surprise me. But anyway, so there we go. We get Ipsissimus and what that actually means in our, uh in our world. <laughs> Now, in the Image universe, we get Grifter and Spartan seem to be at odds with each other. Did you pick up on that in this first issue? I noticed it more when they get to the
1: future. But uh, right. but yeah, they're they're kind of bickering. I'm not sure if that's something that kind of is spinning out of what was going on in the Wildcats proper or, or what. I'm no, kind of I, wondering, I... because this seems more like just the, the crossover on the whole seems a lot more like a Wildcats story that Spawn is just like, guest starring in. Right mostly because he's the villain in the future (laughs) so i wonder if this like maybe took the place of wildcats for a few months or or what the deal was with the publishing at this time i'm not i don't know so Mm. but this seems like just a standard like this is the wildcats comic and I, i i'm assuming spawn telling this story of him getting attacked previously that that didn't that didn't happen in another book previously that it's just he's just recounting a story that hasn't been seen yet and in, in, in any other comics, but
0: right, I, I got the same impression too. It's like that's just something that specifically happened in the comic. It'd be cool if it happened in an issue of Spawn, um, yeah. That's but, what I was
1: kind of wondering if, like, in, in the last issue of Wildcast this happened, and now that's why Spawn's showing up or something like that. But yeah, no, but there, if that had been the case, I'm sure there would have been a, like an editor's note or whatever. But
0: right, I agree with you. I, I noticed it more in the f- when they get to the future, uh, mm-hmm. the bickering between Grifter and Spartan. You may know better than I do, but I can tell you that I don't recall that being a thing that happened happened. happened a whole lot in Wildcats, but it's been a while since i read Wildcats. Do you remember Grifter and Sparkling? Yeah, that wasn't an
1: element that I really picked up on. And I... I re I actually got the absolute Wildcats, the absolute Jim Lee Wildcats, whatever. Um, I guess about a year ago, and read and read that. So it's got the first mini series, and then the like the, I think up to issue like twelve or thirteen. Plus it's got that killer instinct crossover in there. Mm-hmm. So I, th- that yeah. stuff's fairly fresh in my it, a lot of it that I never read before, <laughs> but uh, yeah. like the later issues of it. But yeah. but I don't remember anything like that going on as far as like I mean, Grifter kind of rubs everybody the wrong way because of the style of character he is, you know. Yeah. 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 But as far as him and Spartan, like going buttonheads, that's not something I really remember from the Wildcats books.
0: Uh, one of the things that you mentioned was Future Imperfect. I, I had the opportunity to cover that on my podcast on um, source material with Mark Radelich. And one of the things that drove him up the wall, and I think I may have mentioned this <laughs> to you before, was future speak. He hated yeah. the future speak. Like, oh, shock you.
1: And, well, there's and, plenty and, of that in this one.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to be referring to the the zealot that came. Oh, actually, I want to be referring to these teams because we're going to get more uh, more Wildcats as we go forward. Yeah, a
1: future but, Wildcats squad right. as well.
0: Uh, so I'm just going to call them the 15 Wildcats. Okay. And then we got we're going to have two zealots. Because we got 96 zealot and we got 15 zealot, okay, two completely separate people. But 15 zealot is definitely future speaking all over the place.
1: <laughs> it's all computer lingo. Yeah. Like, I mean, in a way, you know, more was on the money that like by the twenty by 2015, most people were fairly tech savvy by comparison to the 90s. But nobody nobody talks like that. <laughs> you
0: are, well, yeah, you're absolutely right, though, because I mean, think about this. And the only reason I started to notice this is being a fan of of time travel. You, you kind of think about that every once in a while. And you're like, man, what would it be like if someone from the past came into the future? What would it be like to hear somebody talk? Then I started to realize how my kids talk. <laughs> uh, you know, my kids are so influenced by what it's. it's not like they're. Their language is evolving. It's right. more like the language is shortening. Uh, I I, I, call this, I call this the war on syllables at one point because, <laughs> you know, my kids are running around. And specifically, it's so funny. Technology definitely has a hand in the evolution of the language that I'm hearing mm-hmm. because, number one, I guarantee you most of what my kids are saying, that they seems odd to YouTube. me. <laughs> YouTube. Yes. YouTube, uh, and video games. So, I mean, to this, it's been a while that this term's been floating around probably about a year now because Among Us blew up. The game Among Us blew up mm-hmm. last year. When everybody's sitting at home, Among Us takes, like, Among Us, which is a game that's been around forever and a day. I think it's been around for a few years. All of a sudden, some YouTubers pick it up and it goes off the rails. <laughs> People, I, have you have you heard of this game? Do you know much yeah. about it? Okay, all right. Among Us is, like, the little guys running around that, like, are wearing suits and have goggles. And it's very much, it's based off of the thing. Basically there's oh, really? an imposter. Yeah, there's an imposter that's running around. They the whole goal of the whole game is to figure out who is lying. And the imposter goes around killing people and the rest of the uh, the rest of the people playing the game has to figure out who the imposter is. So somebody could say, "Well, that person was over on section B doing this that and the other by the laundry." And then the other guys like, "No, I wasn't. I, that wasn't me." And then everybody votes at some point like to who the imposter is and sure enough a lot of times they get it wrong. They kill a dude that's not supposed to be <laughs> (laughs) That's not the imposter. But anyway, long story short, one of the things that came out of that was some uh, the have you ever heard anybody say, well, that's kind of sus. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I have (laughs) kids. I hear it all the time. I don't know about you. I know. (laughs) But
1: if you hear actually, I don't hear it often, but I see it on Twitter. You know, I see it on social media. A lot of people saying that.
0: So that I think for my children all evolved out of them watching people play, people play that game and somebody be all, that's kind of sus, which is short for suspicious. Uh Um, And then totes adorbs totes adorbs (laughs) is a a thing because they decided to just like I said, it's the war on syllables, dude. Um, (laughs) So anyway, could you imagine somebody from like the fifties coming into 2020 Make it 2019, because you don't want to get in 2020. Just just stop at 2019. (laughs) But... Somebody comes in and hears somebody go, oh, that's totes adorbs. Well, yeah, okay. That is going to be some future speak. So, yeah, who knows what it's going to be like. And, and, I mean, at this point, when they're writing this story, it's 19 years into the future. And I love the fact they picked 2015, which is the same year that Marty McFly went into the future. Um, And, of course, just stuff we talk about. And, and uh, you know, know, when you talk to somebody, hey, you know, did you Zoom that meeting? Or (laughs) could you imagine if you had no idea what the hell Zoom was or (laughs) what the Internet was? Uh, but yeah, you're right, man. I think the funniest thing, it doesn't happen here, but I want to bring it up now. Like, I think it's issue three, maybe. She talks about something. Oh no, it's issue four. When they get shot back to nineteen ninety-six, she's like, Oh, I feel like I got uh downbooted to a Mario Sonic yeah. or a game for yeah. the Mario <laughs> Sonic era. And I'm like, Well, uh
1: Yeah, that's one that's one of that. That I picked up on. That was a highlight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I liked it too. Um, our armature is coming. So at the end of the first issue, and I don't know if you saw this or not, but you and I, for some reason, we get to do on these issues and then we start picking things off of the billboards in the back. Uh, and we did that with, I think Morbius was it uh, Morbius is coming yeah. or something like that. Or, you know, it was a, kind of a pretty good issue. Yeah, there we go. Well, At the end of this first issue, when they arrive in 2015, uh, there is a marquee or billboard that says Armature is coming. Have you ever heard of Armature?
1: Mm, Don't think so.
0: Okay. So, okay. I want to try and share my screen here real quick. And you tell me if you recognize this dude, I think. Is it showing you?
1: Oh, yeah, do you, you recognize know, I've that? Seen that? Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I I just know it as an image. I don't know what it is.
0: I'm the same way. I remember seeing this thing uh, for the longest time. Uh, you probably, you know,
1: in if, a, I probably saw an ad for it in Wizard or something.
0: Right. Well, if you notice, it's not an image comic. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have the eye up in the up in the yeah the signature eye up at the top. But what. I will point out is this name right here Steve Olaf. Okay. Now we talked about Steve Olaf a while back when we jumped into Ali Optics. We were talking about like one of the first one of the first comics that did like digital separations and we went on to the oh, Wikipedia. Yeah? yeah, we went onto the Wikipedia to kind of figure out who that was uh-huh. and then his name popped up. So and Steve Olaf uh, Ali Optics is the one that did the uh, yeah, computer coloring Ali Optics. So anyway, huh. the point of me bringing that up. Long story short, uh, Armature is uh, he's he's sneaking in a little bit of an ad yeah. in his upcoming <laughs> comic because that Armature released in '96. Uh, so there's a neat little tie in to stuff that we've talked about before. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm I'm stepping back. What do you think of this first issue, man?
1: Uh, it gets the job done. You know, it gets uh, everything set up for the story to come. It it was kind of jarring to just seeing Spawn in a. This kind of a setting, like, for whatever reason, my memories of Spawn are all, you know, the, the, that first handful of issues. So he's always kind of by himself. He, he doesn't, it, most of his dialogue, as far as I can remember, was like interior, like inner monologue stuff. Right. Um, And he was just more of like a presence that kind of floated in and out of the other character's world, you know. Uh, uh So seeing him, like, straight up with all these, all these other superheroes and all this dialogue that he's got, it just... Was kind of it would just seem different from the the Spawn I remember. Not used to it. God, I, I liked the uh, the appearance when when Spawn first shows up. That du- it's like a double page spread where he's. First of all, like when he first shows up and he he like punches Spartan and then Maul immediately like grows like to three times his size and grabs a hold of Spawn and he's holding him like a baby doll basically yeah That's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> so the size uh, difference and then he there's like a two page spread where he's leaping out of of Maul's grasp and like evading Grifter's gunfire and and leaping over Spartan and grabbing a hold of sell it like. Kind of taking on the Wildcats all at once, which was a really cool uh, spread from from Scott Clark.
0: Right. Yeah, I really dig Scott Clark's Spawn. I I mean, just looking at it, it's there's been some really good artists that that have done Spawn, uh, yeah. and I I really like this rendition of him. Did, did you want to pick a panel out of this issue?
1: I'll probably go with the uh, the first appearance of Spawn when it's like a full page spread where he's b- uh, busting through the window, Morbius style.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. I'm taking the final page. It's two page spread. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Where they arrive in 2015 and they're just looking down the street and like buildings are leaning on each other. And they're like Shumagorath is hanging out over here on the side of this <laughs> on the side of this one building. Uh, but yeah, and there's City. just
1: a body twirling in the breeze hanging. from right. lamppost. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a good place. <laughs> Imps and demons all over the, the street and in the air and stuff. It's not looking good for the Wildcats.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into issue two here. So led by 2015's Grifter and Zealot, the group have to figure out a way to get to their headquarters as quickly as possible, as the demon-filled streets could be a real problem. Unfortunately, they are soon spotted by the demonic Vindicator and Vaporizer, two servants to Commissioner Violator. Fighting for their lives, Spawn and the Wildcats cut loose to try and end the fight quickly. When Maul gets too large for his brain to handle, Voodoo is able to calm him down after the fight is over to get him back to normal. The team incapacitates the demons and continues on their way, running into Benito Santini and his squad of Black Razors, friends of the Fifteen, Grifter, and Zealot. As they get the bunch to the headquarters, the team meet up with what is left of the Wildcats. An elderly zealot who is now paralyzed from the waist down and has taken the name of Tapestry. Spartan's floating head who no longer has (laughs) access to a body to be placed on. I think that's it. Uh, Tapestry explains that the others have joined their cause while Voodoo notices Maul, Warblade, and Void do not have future versions of themselves at the headquarters. Before things are explained, the Troika attacks. Once a trio, now the Troika have been fused into one being by the Ipsissimus. Getting some coordinates from Tapestry, Void is able to teleport them all out of danger into a tunnel well hidden from the Ipsissimus. This is where Warblade and Voodoo find commemorative statues built in their honor as they have apparently been killed in the fall of the Halo building in 2005. The team regroup and focus on heading to face the Ipsissimus, and on the final page, they see the transformed Chrysler building in the distance the home of their target so there is issue two we get our we get to look around 2015 not a whole lot but we do get a little bit of a glimpse of what the future holds for uh this version of the wildcats so what do you think of our 2015 hellscape
1: here pretty rough pumpkins there uh for for the new york (laughs) city uh i I had never heard of i don't think vindicator and what was the other one vaporizer
0: a vaporizer yeah Mm mm-hmm
1: I, I meant to look that up. Are, are they characters from the standard spawn uh, issue? or
0: They have seri- to be. I, I, I remember, like, there was a whole bunch of Vs. Uh, when it came to Uh the... uh, Obviously, we knew about Violator. Vindicator was created alongside the rest of his brothers to serve the Malabogia, lord of the eighth sphere of hell. He has been one of the more active of the siblings, and his job was to test and then guide potential hellspawn through the bowels of hell. Vindicator, they say his first appearance was spawn number eight. So... Created by Alan Moore. Vaporizer was created by Alan Moore. Okay. Uh. Well, so maybe that's what, maybe he's like, oh, I want to throw these guys in there. Uh, vaporizer. Oh, Vaporizer first showed up in May of 1994, Violator number one. So, in the Violator okay. series. Okay. So, and... See, so yeah, I
1: was curious if they were just, like, made up for this series or or what, because I never... I don't recall ever hearing about these two uh, characters before. Yeah, they're... But yeah, they're basically just, like, in charge, I guess, of the city. <laughs> they're the feet on the ground, boots on the ground for uh, Epistomus or whatever. <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and not much of a match for them all it seems.
0: No, no, Man, Maul, we don't get the panel, do we? I thought, I know he's it, got his hand and he is about to rip open one.
1: Right. He's pulling a King Kong.
0: <laughs> right, dude. It's not looking good for whichever V he's got a hold of there. Fleabiacs, by the way, they're, that's what they are. So they're, they're called Fleabiacs. There's, they're, they're Fleabiac brothers, boy. That, oh, okay. that is apparently Vindicator, Violator. Let's see what the rest of them are. So, okay. Current members of the Fleabiac brothers Vindicator, violator, vandalizer, the, Vas- vacillator, v a c i l a t o r, and vaporizer.
1: They are the fleabeak. But yeah, I guess uh, all more creations.
0: I think. Uh, let's take a look. See what that says. Creators: Todd McFarlane, Alan Moore. That's correct. So let's talk about Santini. You ever knew? Did you know anything about uh, Benito uh, Santini? Ever heard of him at all? In the Black Razors?
1: I, I knew the ner- the the, uh, the term Black Razors, and that I think there might have been a they might had their own series or maybe they just were um, a team that showed up in Stormwatch or something, but I'm not super familiar with them other than just, the name. I actually thought the Black Rages were like a superhero, uh, like a covert superhero team, kind of like the Wildcats. But I guess they were all just soldiers, maybe.
0: Okay, so I did a little digging. Uh, headed over to dcfandom.com, dc.fandom.com, uh, and I'll read to you just uh, the first paragraph of this history here. Uh it says after years of arduous. This is uh, this is Benito Santini, by the way. After years of arduous training and numerous covert missions, Ben Santini rose to become one of the IO's top operatives a member of director of operation John Lynch's personal black razor unit uh John Lynch Oh, Team 7, Gen 13, yeah. He was there. kind of all
1: over the Wildstorm stuff, I think. Right, right. So anyway,
0: when Wildcats founder Jacob Marlowe put a bullet through Santini's knee during a battle, though, his Black Razor career seemed to be a, at an end.
1: Okay, so that happened in the Wildcats miniseries, I assume, because there was a character, he was all armored up, I guess it's the Black Razor armor, and in order to get out of a bind, Marlowe... Shoots one through the knee and then puts a gun to his head and, like, has to threaten, uh, what's the guy, the lynch, uh, to get the, like, the team out of whatever predicament they're in. Oh, I guess that was Santini. I didn't know. I mean, I just assumed that was a character that would never be heard from again. Right. Yeah. I guess they brought him back as the leader of the Black Razors. That's cool.
0: We got this, we got this future Santini who's now part of the Wildcats or at least leading some of the Wildcats along with the Razors. They're pals, at least, we'll say that much. Part of the resistance movement. Yeah, I mean, as far as character goes, he's kind of important to the story because he's getting the resistance together. And when we say resistance, I mean, resistance, it's friends and enemies coming together (laughs) to try and fight what Spawn has become, uh, the Obsessments. I did, I also didn't know much about Tapestry, which Tapestry is the name that Zealot takes on herself, but apparently she was a villain in Wildcat's past. The tapestry that we know from the current Wildstorm universe, when I say current uh, or image universe, Zealot was trying to get some help for her daughter, Savant. And she went to a person by the name of Tapestry who has this magic power. Uh, so when she does this, what she in turn asks for is that Zealot become her slave for a <laughs> 100 years. So... Yes, she Zealot was enslaved by Tapestry, and I think from what this book is saying, Tapestry was then well, Tapestry and Zealot uh, either they came to an agreement and Tapestry died, and then she inherited the powers, or I think more than likely Zealot probably killed Tapestry, <laughs> uh, and that might be that might be spelled out in the book. I don't know, but regardless, just know that Tapestry and Zealot were enemies at one point. Now Zealot has taken over tapestry's powers and she's a pretty powerful magician the only problem is her body is you know she's she's Mm -hmm. paralyzed from the waist down um and she's obviously a lot older now she's uh definitely looked like she's battle worn we'll just put it that way (laughs) that's all i had for tapestry and then we get our our look at floating head spartan which i just i'm throwing it out there it's funny to just see (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you see Hadrian uh, in his, in his head, just kind of floating around in a bubble uh, kind and of drama style. Just, yeah. All then... <laughs> right, dude. So he, you know, that's kind of all he is. He's just this head. That's kind of floating around and, and helping the team out. He doesn't have a body to go into. And I don't know if it's this issue. I think it is this issue where, you know, the Spartan from 1996 is like, Oh, you must be on your last body. And he's like, <laughs> well, how about you just do this? Remember to watch your butt. And what's funny is, <laughs> I thought to myself, I wonder if he's actually, like, you know, being literal. Like, at some point, the only the reason why Spartan loses his last body is because he gets shot in the butt somehow and it blows him up. I don't know. But anyway, but
1: that's not really all I have for issue two. Did you have anything you wanted to say? I did not realize that Troika was one unit all melded together until they show up again later in the book in, like, issue three or four. Uh, yeah. they have, like, a brief appearance here. But, yeah, that Troika, they were... Part of the villain team in the first Wildcats mini. I think they show up in maybe issue seven or eight as well later on. Slag is the name of the big lava uh, monster guy. And I don't remember the other characters' names. But it was cool to see them pop up again because I remember them from that initial Wildcats miniseries. And you don't really ever hear much about them anymore. so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and probably never will again because I don't think DC <laughs> going to be using any of these characters anytime soon.
0: Right. Yeah, the only one that seems to stick around is Grifter. It seems like that's the only right. one that like seems like they can get some mileage out of. All right. Well, anything else there before we move on to issue three? I think that's it all right issue three here we go as the world prepare for the rebellion against the ipsissimus spawn and the wildcats of 1996 and 2015 come up with a plan now i actually grabbed these panels so i wanted to i wanted to kind of lay out the plan here just real quick as of what they're going to do so tapestry and both the zealots so remember there's 2015 and 1996 zealot accompany spawn through the storm drains to the dungeon levels of uh, the Chrysler building, or Ipsos' lair. Um, Void warps Voodoo Mall and 2015 Spartan, oh, bodiless Spartan, <laughs> to the quarters occupying the midsection of the tower. And our 90s model Spartan, Warblade, and both Grifters go to the stronghold in the upper reaches of the tower. So, yeah, so there's the plan. All We got three teams that are heading into different parts of the Chrysler Tower. Now, as the two grifters, Warblade and Spartan, make their way into the building, they find they are in a trophy room, but soon come into confrontation with Grunge and Burnout, two members Mm. of Gen 13 who now pledge their allegiance to the (laughs) Ipsissimus.
1: I'm guessing they didn't think much of Gen 13.
0: (laughs) That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, this is, you know... Well, okay. All right. I'll give them like, okay, they're using characters from the Wild Storm universe. Right. I'll I'll give them that. But to turn them and make them like allies of the Absissimus. And from what I
1: can tell, no indication that they like are doing any of this against their will. It's more like just like, well, he won, so we're just going to work for him now. Right. (laughs) That's the impression you get. Well, you
0: know, to your point, though, the battle like lasts like nothing. (laughs) (laughs) like i think grunge grabs a hold of warblade and you're like oh here we go and then grunge just like you know he gets shocked or something and then he immediately (laughs) falls down and then burnout gets encased and i don't know if it's one of spartan's deals or or not spartan but uh, well yeah maybe it was spartan i can't remember either way burnout is can't flame on so he's done so my next sentence is they make they're able to make short work of them and move on Now, 15 Spartan, 96 Void, Maul, and Voodoo find themselves in a room with the Ipsissimus Ipsissimus Harem, (laughs) a group of ladies who used to be superheroes, one of which is a depowered version of Void. When the Troika appears to interrogate the Harem, Void is enraged and teleports the Troika outside of the building, which is a bit of a problem for the Troika as they are multiple floors up and they (laughs) fall to their doom. Now, as Spawn, Tapestry, and both Zealots explore the dungeon levels, they run into a chained up and tortured Jacob Marlowe. And before they can free him, Commissioner Violator and Vandalizer show up. Unleashing a magical blast, Tapestry is able to defeat them and send the rest of the team after Ipsissimus. As the whole team reconvenes outside of the uh, outside of Ipsissimus's throne room, they run into a mortally wounded Santini who tells him the Ipsissimus knew about all of their plans this whole time—not just dun. Uh, not just these teams, but the rebellions around the world—and he's been ready and waiting. As the doors to the throne room open, a gigantic 2015 mall, chained with a bull ring in his nose, ushers them through. When the team walks through, they find a humongous. Ipsissimus, basically a giant spawn sitting on his throne awaiting their arrival. So there we go. That is issue three. So we already talked about my first note was our Gen 13 turncoats grunge and burnout. (laughs) Um, That was, you know, just like you said, it was kind of odd to just see them be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're working for him now and, and we'll make sure that we take. It's not like, hey, let's help. The guys, let's you know, they're actively trying to stop them.
1: Um Yeah, you would think like even if they had been working for Epsomus or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. That uh they would oh, Spartans here, Rifters here, all right, we we can you know, help, You know, we'll help them out. We'll we'll right. take this guy down. But now, also, they probably knew they were coming. But given that True. they knew that they were coming, they didn't put up put bunch of a fight.
0: No, they didn't. They didn't. Maybe that. Maybe we could give them that much credit. Maybe they were like, maybe they're faking it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they. Like, oh, we're done. Okay. Oh, uh, now at least if, if the pessimist wins, it looks like we tried. And if if not, uh, then we helped our uh, the team out. Maybe I don't know. But do you have the pages in front of you of Uh, Ipsissimus' harem. Care to take a stab at what the ladies uh, that uh, are there? Because I'm pretty sure he like took a bunch of former heroes, he made them degraded lady servants. I'm assuming these are all
1: Wildstorm characters. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with any of the other teams really to know. Uh, I'm sure the Green Girl with no nose is somebody, Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure who they're supposed to be. So other other than the Gen 13 uh, Fairchild, but
0: right, pale pales in comparison to what she used to be. Um, Which
1: I think she says she's using her powers somehow to to become like super overweight or whatever. So I guess nobody will bother her, but
0: right yeah i think what she's trying to do while well, she said she just continues to stuff her face so she can <laughs> <Okay>. look undesirable <laughs> sure um our green girl with the no nose natika okay. there we go all right so natika i'm pretty sure pretty sure that that's Nautica in that and in, in there gotcha. uh, i can't pick anybody else out there i mean there is
1: something about the one with the wrist bracelets, but I don't see a character with the wrist bracelets. She's like, she the, says... Because Maul says, that one with the wrist bracelets. She's like Joan Collins or somebody, been around forever. Wrist bracelets.
0: Is that like the really... No, it's not Well That really, like, skinny one. That one looks... That one looks scary. Well, I'm sure that's alluding to something.
1: Uh, you know what? I'll bet they're talking... I'll bet it's supposed to be Wonder Woman. I'll bet that's uh, what Maul is trying to indicate he there.
0: might be right, because... Been around forever. Yep. I like that. Okay. So my other note was void dropping Troika from the sky. That was pretty ruthless. She's about had enough and she just teleports him outside and drops him. Yeah. Um, which is great. Uh we got Commissioner Violator who shows up here in this issue. You know, we're waiting for we get his brothers, but of course Violator has to Violator <laughs> has to show up. Uh we get him showing up and he so this is the point where I can again state that there isn't a whole lot that happens for some of these characters. You're like, holy crap, there's this character, and then within like a panel, dude, they're dead. right violator shows up and tapestry wastes them with her magic powers uh there's a lot of that it feels like there'll be a a cool character and then they just kind of disappear right um 2015 mall we just talked about him right at the end of this issue but he's going to have his few moments but we're going to talk about what happens to him in the next issue which seems like it's holy crap how is it how did that happen but again you got a team book and you're only doing four issues Mm. You, it just doesn't feel like trying, it has you're enough. You're trying
1: to get get the cameos in to like let you know that this is the same world that Wildcats were, came from from the past. But like they've got all these warped versions of, of the characters, but there's not a lot for them to do. Just kind exactly. of let them pop in, let, let you know the state of things, and then they're they're back out. So, yeah, there's a, a few things about this. Third issue, like, I thought it was kind of cool. Like, they, they talk about the different prongs of their attack or whatever. They've got the uh, vampire triads in Chinatown. I'm so, And I'm kind of curious who the people in that picture frame are. You see the in that panel, the second panel on the first page. Uh, the, when they mention the, the the vampire triads, there's uh they're kind of lighting these candles that are around this framed photo of a guy in sunglasses and some woman. It was interesting when they they're talking about vampire triads, and that's like literally the only we just get one mention in one panel, and I'm <laughs> like, that's kind of an interesting element. We don't want to explore that any. <laughs> that's Going back to issue
0: two, Tapestry is talking to the team and telling them about kind of like the organ- organization that they're doing around the world. I'll read this to you. It says, Delphi and those sisters of the the Ipsissimus hasn't already destroyed, uh, are in Brooklyn. They await our signal. Heartless John... The undead ruler of Hong Kong and his wife, Mm. the Blood Queen, pledged their fiercest vampire triads to our cause. You're looking at Heartless John because there's a picture on this on this computer screen. You know how he has that big jaw? Yeah. 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 That's exactly what Heartless John looks like. All right. uh, Anything else on issue three?
1: The um, trophy room that they they find—I thought oh, that was really yeah. cool. You know, there's basically all the heroes that Pessimist or whatever has defeated. So there's like a, a Shadow Hawk helmet in there. There's some like swords on the wall, and this is one of the only—and I guess there's a a yeah—the uh, head of Malbolgia, I guess, is what that is. Um, on the wall, but one of the few times that I'm kind of disappointed with uh, Scott Clark, and I think it's probably more like a time thing. Like, I, I, when I see, when I hear them talk about this trophy room, it makes me think of it, the Maestro's trophy room in Future Imperfect, like with right. the Captain America's shield and all that stuff. And this is like a far cry from that kind of detail. So yeah. you just get a few you, things here and there, but...
0: Could have done a whole lot more than what was actually on here. Right. Yeah, it, it took me through my second read-through to realize that that was... Shadowhawk's helmet, I didn't see that at first. But yeah, I mean, I we have no idea who those swords belong to. Right. <laughs> so you just, you, yeah,
1: they have done a lot more. The only other thing I really had in this one was the coarse, gross, like, language of, which character is this of the cigarette? Oh, Burnout. Yeah, he, he's talking about the, the women. <laughs> he calls them the, the perfumed cattle pens. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I think, it, let's see, I'm going to just read the, the the word balloon. There'll be Fat Cat and those other two worn out sluts giving me their accusing looks. I'm guessing Fat Cat is supposed to be Caitlin Fairchild. Right. And uh, it's just like a lot of, <clears throat> it reminds me of stuff like Mark Miller would write in, in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, just this like, really abrasive language part of it i guess maybe is looking through it through a lens of 2021 like this wouldn't this kind of stuff wouldn't even though there's are bad guys obviously it's just kind of a gross and then when you see like all these just the the idea that he's basically the kingpin spawn whatever has killed all the male heroes but all the female heroes are his sex slaves now and it's just like yeah that's a little skeezy <laughs> i mean i know he's supposed I, to be an evil uh, monstrous demon but uh, so yeah that was uh kind of off-putting but is is pretty in time to- in, in line with the kind of stuff that was in the mid to late 90s in, in image in some image comics it kind of reminds me of like stuff like warren ellis who I like a lot of Warren Ellis stuff, but like Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, all, all those guys kind of have these like weird, we're going for shock value more right. than anything. Yeah,
0: right. The word sluts used twice, <laughs> if I remember correctly. And yeah, I'm not used to seeing that in my in my comic book reading. Well, even for 90s right uh, image comics, we're not used to seeing that, really. I don't remember that word coming up a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right. 2020, you know, our. 21st century brain looking back at this it's going to stick out more which is fine but you know we're obviously trying to better our culture by not using (laughs) words to describe ladies like that that's uh that's not what we're supposed to do but again these are evil dudes they're going to use that evil type of language because that's that just makes them that much more of a bad guy i guess it's shock value all over or why these one of the girls in this in this room she doesn't have her top on. right uh, you know, it, it's they're all dressed scantily clad. That's that's typical for a 90s uh, image book, but regardless, yeah, they're all like his his uh, servants. We'll just put it that way,
1: um, <laughs> right? All right, anything else? Yeah, the last thing, just the the final panel, we finally see. Ipsimus or whatever, they break into the chamber and they see like this huge mall, you know, yeah. the, the mall of the future. So he's like, I don't know, what would you say, like 20 feet tall he, <laughs> or
0: something. Yeah, he's got to be, dude. I mean, uh, I mean, that, he's yeah, the
1: uh, the other characters are not even waist high. to to this mall. And then right on the next page, we see Ipsimus and he dwarfs the the giant mall even. So uh, it's always cool when you can have like a giant villain given that Galactus vibe. You know, I think of that Galactus fantastic four cover where all the Avengers and the fantastic four are fighting Galactus and he's, you know, the size of a building.
0: And and it's good you brought that up. We get our fate of Jeremy uh, Maul uh, and what his 2015 version is, which is not good. We already know Maul is the powerhouse of the Wildcats. Right. All right. And now we have the 2015 Maul who's completely mindless, this hulking massive beast, and he's on the side of uh, Ipsissimus. Uh, So what can the Wildcats do? So, issue four. The Absissimus greets the team. He is able to knock 1996 Maul unconscious and begins to gloat at how the preparation and effort in attempting to take him down were all for nothing. And then he turns a gigantic 2015 Maul loose on Spawn and the Wildcats. Dodging his attack, 2015 Grifter regrettably reaches into his waistband and pulls out, I assume it's a specially made gun, and <laughs> delivers a bullet right between the eyes of the 15 Maul. In The Ipsissimus unleashes a bolt of powerful energy at the 2015 Grifter, however... A floating head of Spartan jumps in front and sacrifices himself saving Grifter from getting killed. Seeing an opportunity, Spawn leaps towards the Ipsissimus and the two battle. So it's Spawn versus Spawn, buddy. How's this going to go? <laughs> now, by this time, Spawn has reduced himself to the size of, or at least close to the size of the Wildcats. Um, he, I think at some point he says, like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I can't remember what he says. He says, size doesn't matter much to a god, but here you go. And he kind of brings himself down. But anyway, so Spawn versus Spawn Now, believing the amulet to be the source of Ipsissimus's power, Spawn grabs it, but soon learns that the Ipsissimus can hold his own, hitting Spawn with a blast. Spawn is out of the fight for a few. The 2015 Zealot then relays to the team they need to get Spawn out of the fight because the Ipsissimus has been aware of their moves this whole time and remembers everything the Spawn is experiencing. The 15 Zealot talks to Tapestry, and she is able to send both her and Spawn back to 1996. So this is the the 2015 version of Zealot. Not Tapestry, but Right. The one that was trained. I'm trying to make sure. I know, you know, I'm talking about <laughs> our our listeners. Cause this is the, the time travel stuff and the team, you know, one person is actually the same person, but the other person took up the other person's name and uh-huh. they're still, you know, it's all crazy. But the zealot, the younger zealot uh, from 2015 anyway, travels back in time with spawn to 1996. So, okay. When they arrive, the 2015 zealot sees that spawn is holding the amulet in his hands and ask for it. When he denies having it, she reaches and he backhands her. In 2015, the absissimist tells the team he remembers the exact events that are happening right now in 1996. This leads Zealot, Tapestry, Void, and Voodoo to reach back to somehow influence events so that this dark paradox does not come to pass, which is okay. So, just to kind of wrap this in for readers again, starting with the beginning of the book, these entities drop the medallion in. Spawn gets a hold of it somehow. We didn't know how. Now we do. Spawn got it off of his future self, which is crazy, but he got it off of his future self, took it back in time, and now it seems to be affecting him. So, these people, Tapestry, Zealot, Void, and Voodoo are trying to somehow reach backwards in time with their mental powers, Just I'm guessing, (laughs) and influence so they can break this cycle because they do not want the events that are happening now in 2015 to occur, so they've got to figure out a way to try and get Spawn to realize that what he is doing is wrong or somehow to affect, get him away from the the amulet because that affects him and, you know, that's what leads to these events. So anyway, okay. So they're reaching back there to try and make sure this paradox does not not come to pass. When Spawn hits the 2015 Zealot again, her mask comes off. Now remember, this whole time, this younger Zealot from the future has been running around with this mask on and it's at this point Spawn recognizes the young woman's face underneath. It is that of his widow's daughter, Cyan. A girl. (laughs) (laughs) I need to put those in the script. A girl that Spawn obviously cared for very much. Horrified, Spawn stops his attack and gives Cyan the amulet. In 2015, things begin to change. As the Ipsissimus screams, his existence begins to unravel along with the rest of the 2015 Wildcats team. Recognizing they need to get out of there immediately, Spartan gathers the 96 Wildcats and port them all back to the past. When they arrive, they watch as Cyan begins to unravel as well. Spawn is devastated as he watches the young woman who was like a daughter to him fade away to nothing. As Voodoo looks for the amulet, it has seemed to have disappeared, retrieved by the beings outside of the universe that put it there in the first place. So there we go. Our unspoken epic Spawn Wildcats. We've reached the end of the fourth issue. Uh, I'm going to throw it over to you first. What are your thoughts here, man, as we get into, or as we finish up, finish up with this fourth issue?
1: A pretty solid conclusion. There's a lot of, time travel shenanigans, like time loop stuff that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, like him taking the amulet so that he can have the amulet in the future and how all that stuff, even the characters in, in the book admit like it's hard for this stuff to really, hard to make sense of how some of this timeline stuff is going right. to shake out. I guess that's the otherworldly character or characters out of the outside of the wall. Yeah. Universe, which you only see in the first, like two pages of issue one and the very last page of issue There's no other, you know, mention or or, or, uh, side of any of them at any other point.
0: No, no, no. The casual reader, if you're trying to follow this along, I mean, this is definitely i don't want to say high concept stuff but i mean it's something that i could see alan moore trying to take a, a, <laughs> a stab at you know it's like it's, this is something that he would want to try to do and i like the idea of a, a paradox happening where really it's just something is happening and it's a a, a loop uh, and one thing doesn't happen without the other thing happening right. and vice versa like in order to get here this had to happen but in order for this to happen we had to get there. And it's it is a really mind-bending kind of concept. And what I think how Alan Moore handles it well is by using those beings outside of the universe. Yeah. Like they they are the only ones that you know they they're the ones that put the medallion in place. And a I mean, the way Spawn explains it or the Ipsissimus, how he explains it is that the amulet doesn't give him power. Um, or at least I think he said it gave him, he held on to it for sentimental value, and it must have gave him enough power to kill the male And then at that point, he becomes all-powerful because he absorbs the male powers at that point. What I don't understand, and maybe this is something that they explained or just expected us to understand, but I didn't like the heel turn and I'm using a wrestling term there (laughs) of spawn all of a sudden just decides to turn bad after he gets the amulet. So I assume my assumption and tell me if this is the way you went with it, but I assume like The amulet has an influence on him, makes him at least powerful enough to wear uh, and it also influences his attitude because, I mean, he like uh, goes back and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm all about this. I'm going to (laughs) take over hell now. And he wasn't like that at first. I mean, he's like, why do I turn into this? And then all of a sudden he embraces it, which, okay. I'm going to fault the story for that because that didn't seem like it was earned. That just seemed yeah. like, Oh wow, I've got an amulet now and I'm a bad guy. <laughs> and the only thing, the only thing that I can say is like, maybe the amulet influenced his mental state at that point and turn him evil. But that yeah, isn't,
1: that true. isn't said. Right. That's how I read it too. Uh, is that, The thing that set him off on that path is the amulet. Um, It kind of it's kind of like the one ring almost. Lord of the Rings, you know, only much faster acting. And in this issue, like as soon as he has it, he's like, yeah, why shouldn't I kill Mabalja and take his power? And he's about to kill uh, Zealot, you know? Yeah.
0: You know, the beings outside of the universe, they put the they put it there. And then when everything's all said and done, they kind of reach in and they pull back out. And just for their amusement, which is I mean, that, again, feels like a very Alan Moore thing to me. It's like, well, all these gods are laughing at us. Look at it. You know, <laughs> they're look at those silly monkeys down there. You know, we do this and they're doing that time travel shenanigans. Comics use that yeah. concept a lot. Using time travel well in a in a comic, I think it's kind of tough to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was used well enough here. You know, I, one of my notes down here, as far as plot goes, like the whole thing behind the abscissimus knowing exactly what's going on is the fact that they brought spawn into the future and he watched everything go down. I'm sitting there. I'm like, Why didn't you guys think of that? (laughs) Why did you not know that the. He's going to do everything now. (laughs) He's going to know everything. You just brought him along. And as Alan Moore's story is, you said it was kind of like a basic 90s kind of tale and, you
1: yeah know, you know i said that but like um you know alternate futures and alternate versions of characters all that stuff is kind of old hat now it's and it's i mean to be honest it's way overdone at this point mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, and it's, you know I'll, I'll still enjoy it when it's done well but but this is but this is at a point where like age of apocalypse like, like we said had just come out like uh, year earlier that year. you know we had had days of future Past. There had been a few, right? things, you know there had been stories of this ilk you know future imperfect but it was kind of still a new thing at this point uh it, we didn't see it a ton now you know oh my gosh like an old man man logan had his own series for
0: right dude years
1: or whatever. <laughs> like it's everywhere now you can't you, get away it,
0: as much as i love it it is really used a lot yeah, I mean, my. Gosh.
1: I mean, that's I, that's the Marvel DC model. I mean, if you know whatever works, milk it. Just keep turning it like, out as long as people it, are going to keep buying it.
0: But yeah, you, I mean, if you you could sit there and name off so many, so many stories that involve time travel as an aspect I mean, they did, of it.
1: They did Secret War. That was there's Secret Wars. That was like yeah. Here's the forty seven different alternate universes that we've right. covered yeah. in the last twenty years at Marvel, all in right. one storyline.
0: Right. Uh, Flashpoint was a perfect example of where Mm -hmm. they used time travel to bring about a whole alternate reality. And you have freaking Avengers Endgame use time (laughs) travel. Yeah. As for pretty much
1: once Age of Apocalypse happened, there had been stories like that before on a smaller scale. But Age of Apocalypse was a huge hit. It was it was every X-Men title. You know, there were one shots and stuff. And then that kind of seemed to open the floodgates. So Mm -hmm. once that happened, you know, you started seeing a lot more of it in the years after that and it just kind of snowballed
0: right what do you think of our fight between the spawns when they when they finally face off with each other uh
1: it was pretty cool uh it, it i would have preferred giant epismis a little more right <laughs> uh we didn't see a whole lot of that uh, in action but a, a pretty solid conclusion and i really like the i think my panel of the issue for the oh we didn't do them for every issue but for this one would might be the uh spawn of the future you see he's looking at his hand and it's kind of unraveling like uh, a mummy's wraps you know kind of being pulled apart and uh, all the other characters sort of fade away as they 96 spawn you know finally comes to a census or whatever so right
0: yeah and i will tell you that that reveal of 2015 zealot being cyan uh, as a young woman uh, for me moment of the book and that's what it was supposed to be it it made me go oh i'd forgotten completely about cyan when i was reading yeah. this book again I, I when that was the reveal i was like oh okay well that that to me made sense and it was heartbreaking he had to sit there and watch her just kind of unravel and peel away and she says it's okay it's like i was never even here
1: and Ugh. that was a good payoff in my opinion yeah the- I, w- I was not expecting that i kind of was trying to Put myself in the shoes of somebody buying this book month to month in the midnight. You know, I read this over the course of like you know, six days or whatever, all four right. issues. So, somebody reading this month to month back then, you know, we we saw the future grifter and the future zealot, the future Spartan, but we uh, didn't see any indication about who this new zealot, the younger zealot from the future, was. Right. Uh, so, I wonder if people were. You know, guess like, well, who's this character? I mean, surely they're going surely that's gonna be somebody. You know, we're seeing grunge show up, we're seeing all these other characters that are references to young blood and stuff. So, I wonder if people were putting it together. Well, maybe that's gonna be his daughter or whatever. It was just like a huge surprise or whatever. So, yeah, uh, I was not expecting it. That was kind of cool.
0: So, we mentioned the grifter Spartan thing that's been that kind of. Plays itself out in these four issues. So if it's not been something that you were seeing prior to, maybe it showed up in later issues of Wildcats. Who knows? But I can tell you, if it's a whole cloth thing for this Spartan and Grifter not getting along, uh, that's kind of like this real tiny sub arc that happens yeah. in, this, in these issues. Like they don't get along and yeah, they're not getting along. And look at these, <laughs> look at the two future versions of themselves. They're not getting along. And then uh, Spartan sacrifices himself for grifter and grifter's (laughs) like you are my best friend (laughs) it's like dude i i I don't know if i didn't i don't i think that was unnecessary but i guess they needed something to do
1: it seemed like he was just thrown in there to create some tension or whatever maybe you know there was the line when they're in the future and they're bickering and i think it was future spartan or maybe it was future grifter was like you know it breaks my heart to see you guys you know fighting like this uh uh, I don't know. It 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 just seemed like it was kind of thrown in for to, yeah. to give a little more meat to the story, but it didn't really go anywhere.
0: No, no. I mean, I, I was thinking like, well, okay, if this is happening in the book of Wildcats, maybe this we could say this is a big resolution to that, and now from here on out, after these events, they'll get along in the Wildcats book. Who knows? What uh, did you have anything else there?
1: Only other thing I wanted to bring up. So I, I was reading these online, and yeah, because uh, my local. Shop had issues, I think, two and four. Uh, and I don't have these issues or whatever myself, so but there were pages missing from uh, uh, from where (laughs) from the
0: uh, get me started,
1: yeah. Uh, so but you sent me some pages that were missing from from your hard copies, uh, Mm. and there was a page that has they're kind of referencing what's happened in the future with the other superheroes and stuff. Uh, and there's a shot of some of the Superheroes in like the trenches, maybe getting led away to some camps, and there's a, a shot of dragon, dragon's decapitated head on a pike. Which, I, yep. Hey, always good to see dragon, even if it's just his decapitated head. <laughs> uh, and and the guys that are being led around by, I guess this is a couple of the Violator brothers uh, or whatever. Uh, it looks like maybe Majestic. And I guess maybe that's grunge, but the guy in the front's Wolverine, right? I
0: mean, that's, I, I, you know, that's what I was thinking because I was looking at it too. I was like, who are these dudes? And I don't know if Majestic is around at this point. Let me, I, well, we're, he, in, 90, we're in 96. We're in 96. Let me see when Majestic first showed up.
1: It, or it could be the guy who uh, Tashera did the art, uh, Union. Maybe it's Union.
0: That's exactly who I was going with. Uh, I thought it was Union, but let me, let me just take a look here, image cuz if it's wildstorm though that's the thing if it's wild union was a
1: wildstorm book too i think that's what oh was it i, I think so i'm not okay. certain but
0: first appearance of majestic is 19, june of 94 so yeah it could very well be
1: i think that's pretty much all i had you know this was a fun crossover and kind of unique even for the time you didn't see Spawn teaming up with a lot of other image characters. You didn't see oh. a whole lot of crossovers between studios. You know, the in the very early days, you know, Wildcats showed up, or sorry, Youngblood showed up in Wildcats issue three. You know, Savage Dragon showed up in a Shadowhawk issue. You got a few things here sprinkled in the early. You know, there was the the crossover with Cyberforce and Wildcats. But after those early couple of years, it seemed like most of those studios sort of kept everything in house as far as their characters. Kind of were all doing their own thing. Uh, but this is cool to see Spawn get out there and mix it up with some uh, of the superheroes in the Image Universe. All
0: right. Well, Spawn, Wildcats, Devil Day. I had a good time rereading it. I don't know if it held up as well as it did back in the day. I mean, there's, like I said, the payoff was still good where Spawn mm-hmm. recognized who uh, Cyan was and that that turned everything around. So the, the higher concept stuff was pretty neat, what well, they did with the the entities outside meddling in human affairs and <laughs> but and I, I you know i'm a dude most of these covers i don't know if spawn has his mask off at any point during the book but on the covers he does and like his face <laughs> like it, i i can't remember and I, i'm pretty sure this is a continuity thing with the spawn book but he's got the shoelace right tying his face together uh i i'll have to double check that but I don't think you see that inside the book that I no, can I remember. No, I think on
1: some of the, a couple of the covers, but not inside the book. I don't think.
0: Right, right, but yeah, I'll give you know rest in peace, Scott Clark. I think he did a fantastic job mm-hmm. in, in regards to the art. Alan Moore. I mean, you know, what, what more can you say?
1: He's he's Alan Moore.
0: <laughs> this isn't a book where I'm going to go around saying, "Oh my goodness, you guys are sleeping on Devil Day." <laughs> <laughs>
1: This isn't going to go into the, you know, ultimate uh, Alan Moore, D.C. library edition.
0: (laughs) Well, so we're going to check on out of here. Let's go ahead and do some plugs. This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly dot com slash W two M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W the number two M network to download Grammarly for free. What in the world do you have to plug, sir? What's going on? <laughs> over there in the podcast realm of Chris Armstrong.
1: Not a ton. Uh, He can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BrodyMan34, uh, and you can occasionally find me on Jesse's podcast Source Material as well.
0: All right. Very good. Yeah, I do a podcast right here on the Radulich and Broadcasting Network called Source Material. It's basically a book club for some comics we usually just talk about. It's very similar to what we did here. We grab a story arc, talk about it, have a good time. Uh, But it's not just 90s related. We go all over the place. We've been in the We've been in the 2000. Uh, so yeah, check that out. If you have the opportunity, you can follow me at Stiznarkey on Twitter if you do so wish. And uh, absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to go check out the unspokendecade.com. They've got your 90s comics covered. You can find some fantastic articles over there. Also, do not hesitate to check out the Facebook group for Unspoken Decade and the Unspoken Issues podcast Facebook page as well. You can interact with us. Plus uh, our regular single issue coverage is uh, usually content that is decided upon you in our podcast polls that we put out there. So make sure to watch out for that. Give that uh, a like. We share some stuff. Usually what I do on there, we'll share a poll. And then when I'm doing editing or I'm talking, I throw (laughs) a bunch of stuff up that I usually see in the comics or some of the fun stuff we talk about. Dean Compton and Derry. Wait, also hopped in on an unspoken epic that'll be popping up here pretty soon. If it hasn't popped up before, this one, which was our coverage of the first three issues of Amazing Spider-Man that featured Carnage. So we did Amazing Spider-Man 361. Boy, I could be wrong. I want to say 361. <laughs> that sounds 361. Right. Yeah, 361, 362, and 363. Uh, So we talked about this. Cletus Casty showing up as Carnage, and we talked about that. So kind of keep an eye out on that. Uh, That should be landing either before this podcast airs or shortly thereafter. But uh, all right. Well, hey, I'm Jesse Starcher. That's Chris Armstrong. We will catch you next time. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Rattleich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.